0: If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. The apostles returned to Jesus and told Him all that they had done and taught. And He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Denise. Good morning. How are you today? Good? Good. It's good to be together. It's good to be with you. I'm excited to keep uh, chugging along in this blessed series, six-week series. We are five weeks in. Next week wraps it up. If you're new with us, this is an acronym we're using to help us remember that we have been blessed by God, that we might be a blessing to the world. And, and this acronym, uh, to begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, and story. And today we are on SERVE. And I was, I was just preparing this message this week, I was remembering a time in my life, really a moment in my life where... Uh, I was impacted by not only someone serving, but actually the opportunity to serve as well. It was the summer of 2010, and I was kneeling by the bedside of a once very strong, capable man who was now uh, the color of a pumpkin because uh, the pancreatic cancer that was stealing his life had totally made his skin jaundice, and he was probably about 85 pounds, completely withering away. This man, his name was George, and him and his wife, Winnie, they were my neighbors growing up, and... At first, we didn't like George and Wendy because they had the yappiest dogs you would ever imagine. I mean, these dogs were terrible. And um, I was, kind of felt like in the moment when Jesus casts the demon out of the pigs, and, or out of the man, and it goes into the pigs, I kind of felt like I want to do that to these dogs, but I, I couldn't do that to the dogs. So, all you animal lovers, I have a dog, I love dogs, but these dogs. Uh, and I'm kneeling by George's bedside, and I had the opportunity, really the privilege, uh, before his uh, dying breath, praying with him, asking God to rescue his life, and really sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with George. And uh, I tell that story not to boast in myself, because actually I had nothing to do with opening that door, opening that opportunity. It was actually my dad who served George all the years that we lived there, who was always helping him on his house. Matter of fact, one time, my dad saved George's life. George fell off his roof, working on his roof, cracked his head on the concrete. and My dad was the one who rushed to his aid. I say that all to say that serving opens doors. Serving people in our life, it opens doors to speak into their life, to be with them in the hardest moments of their life that would not have been open had we not given ourselves to serve. And each and every one of us, we've had opportunities, moments in our life where not only have we been served by others, but we've had the opportunity, the privilege of serving others as well. And it may not have been Praying with someone by their bedside, it may have been taking a new mom a meal down the street when you find out she just had a baby and she's got to go back to work in a couple of weeks and you want to just help any way you can and so you bring her a meal. Or maybe it was the time that your neighbor's yard looked so terrible, so bad, you were so angry about it that you decided to mow their yard too. We'll count it this morning, all right, even though it probably wasn't from the heart of service. We've all had opportunities to serve and I'm not here this morning to say that we should serve because I think we all kind of realize that we should serve. I mean, it's the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you wish they would do unto you. We all know that we should serve. Not only do we know we should serve, I mean, uh, from every research study you could possibly compile, it has been proven that the people who... Serve, have a better life. The psychologists will say that if you serve, you're going to have a happier life. They actually say we, we don't know if there's a key to a happy life, but if there is a key to a happy life, it's probably just the people that give their lives to serving others rather than trying to get more things or, or a better life for themselves. These are the people who give their lives away to serve. Those are the happiest people. Sociologists tell us that those with the strongest friendships are the ones who enter into their friendships, not to get something out of their relationship, but to give something. To the relationship, counselors tell us that the way to have the best marriage, the most fruitful marriage, the happiest marriage, is to come to your spouse not to get something from them, but to serve, serve give something to them. Not only that, I mean businesses have figured this out. The best way to have a flourishing, uh, productive business with a great bottom line is to have a business that serves and meets the needs of people. I mean Chick Fil A. Take them for example. They have an incredible customer service, so good that I go there all the time. And <laughs> and they uh you know, they don't just train their employees, hey, be good at customer service. No, no, they train their employees on the little details of customer service. So much so that if you go into Chick-fil-A and you say to the employee working at the desk, you say, thank you, what do you expect for them to say back? My pleasure. My pleasure. How do you know? (laughs) How does a room full of people know that when you go into Chick-fil-A and you say, thank you, they say? How do you know that? Because they've trained them. Why did they train them? Because they care, because they know... That if they treat them, if they train them to treat their customers with great care, with great service, that it's gonna be better for their business. And you know what? Jesus tops them all. More than the counselors, psychologists, sociologists, yes, even more than Chick fil A. (laughs) Jesus is the bread of life. (laughs) Jesus serves. He serves more than all of them combined. He sets the higher standard. He described his whole ministry by saying, that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Not only did he say it, but the people closest to him said it, the apostle Peter, in summarizing the life of Jesus, he said this. He said, he, Jesus, went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Why was God with Jesus? What was the purpose of God being with Jesus on earth? To do Good. It's that simple. Jesus spent his entire life walking around doing good to others, not trying to get something from them, but to give something to them. He does that for us, by the way. God has you here this morning not to try and get something from you, but to give something to you. He wants to bless you that you might be a blessing to the world. We often complicate the ministry of Jesus. We think that you have to have a 5013C and a face mic and a big budget to accomplish anything for God on this world. And, you know, I feel that too. I mean, I look on Instagram, Facebook, uh, the news. I look at people who are doing incredible things with their life. I just listened to motivational speeches yesterday because I was bored and I thought I'll listen to some speech. It's incredible what some people are doing with their lives. And it makes me, you know, sometimes feel, what am I doing with my life? and i don't know if you feel that you look on instagram and you know you see all the families with their happy kids perfect vacation perfect life my career is booming because they post their highlight reel what they don't post is the 2 minutes before that the kid was going nuts they couldn't settle him down and they lost their temper they didn't post that why didn't they post that it's easy to compare ourselves and we think that you have to have this awesome, huge thing to make a difference. But actually, I mean, if you look at the life of Jesus, he did have crowds, he did have mass healings, he did preach to large groups of people, but the majority of his life and ministry was not to crowds or the majority of his life and ministry, he spent trying to get away from the crowds so that he could spend time with the few, trying to get away from the fan base so that he could minister to an individual. Even if you follow the life and ministry of Jesus, even the, the moments where he's in the crowd, it's beginning or it's ending with a story with a person. I mean, the story of the man who was paralyzed and he couldn't get in because the house was so full of people. The highlight of the story isn't that the house was so full of people. The highlight of the story is that his friends ripped a hole in the roof and let him down so that Jesus could heal him. And you wanna talk about friendship. I mean, ripping a hole in a roof to let your buddy down to Jesus, that's friendship. That's a different message, but that's friendship. (laughs) Or the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman who, who Jesus as a Jewish man should not have been speaking to. It's unclean to speak to her. It's, it's, it's culturally totally unacceptable to speak to her, but he looked at her and he loved her. And so he drew near to her in her brokenness, in her sinfulness, that he might minister to her. Jesus, he cares about people. Jesus isn't like us. He didn't come for his own platform or to gather crowds or make a great name for himself. He already had the name, which is above every name. He came for people that he might give his life away to serve them. But here's the deal. I'm not gonna preach this morning about why we should serve or the fact that we should serve or we should be like Jesus and serve. Because I think that for the most part, we've heard that message. We get that idea. And yet there are barriers in our life to giving our lives in service to other people. There are areas of our life where we're seeing a deficit, maybe a financial deficit, a relational deficit, a love deficit. It could be a time deficit where there are areas in your life where you feel, I don't have enough to give. To the people around me that I might be a blessing to them. We're viewing our life through the lens of a deficit or through barriers that are keeping us from doing what God is calling us to do. And what I want to say today is that I believe God wants to pull down those barriers. He wants to show us that our deficit is enough for him because he can take it, he can bless it, he can multiply it to the blessing of many. So my prayer is that through this story, God will show us that what we have is enough to give our lives in service to other people. Often with God, it's not a matter of just doing what we're supposed to do. You know, I checked the box of serving or I checked the box of loving or I checked the box of following Jesus. The disciples, they had done that. I mean, the disciples, they left everything to follow Jesus, including their families. They just finished an intensive time of ministry. Not only have they left everything to follow him, they're doing the stuff. They're preaching, they're healing, they're doing miracles and they come back to Jesus. They're, They're jazzed, they're like, Jesus, we did it. And Mark says that they were so popular with the people for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Now, look, ministry is hard work, and I have busy weeks, but I get my meals in. You know what I'm saying? Like, this isn't happening in my life. These guys were doing it. They were doing it. They were following Jesus. They were sold out. And Jesus, instead of condemning them or saying, come on, do more, he actually recognizes that they've spent themselves, that they're exhausted, that they are in a deficit. And he says, hey, boys, it's time to come away. It's time to come away with me, get some rest, get some refreshment, let's get you some food. I love this about Jesus, that he holds this intention, that we're both to work, to to pour our lives out, and we're to receive from God and go into times of rest and refreshing. I love that. And so Jesus said, hey, come with me. He gets them on the boat, the boat's headed over. And the next part of the story is fascinating. I mean, this is really an incredible story. I hope that you picked that up. This, the crowds of people see the disciples and they recognize them as the disciples of Jesus. And it says, as the boat is going across, the, le- the, the body of water, as the boat is going across, the crowds run around ahead of the disciples. I mean, here's a boat going down through the water to the other side and the crowds are like, no, we can't be done with this dude, Jesus. We gotta get around him and his boys. And so they run. I mean, these people are hungry for God. They run ahead of them, and the disciples, they think they're getting kind of a vacation on the beach, right? Like, we're gonna go, we're gonna kick it with Jesus, we're gonna get some sandwiches, like, we're gonna relax, we're gonna enjoy the scenery, it's not gonna be bothered by all these people. And they're pulling up to the shoreline, and they see a crowd of people that they know they can't avoid. And the extroverts in the room are like, what's the big deal? Let's party, you know what I'm saying? And the introverts are like, (laughs) I know who the introverts are now. You can imagine the disciples, I mean, I feel for them, totally exhausted, hungry, depleted. And when they see the crowd, they see a need that they cannot meet. And they think, I, we can't do anything about this. When Jesus sees the crowd, he experiences something different. Chapter six, verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Compassion, compassion compassion it's the, number one emotional, it's the number one emotion expressed in the emotional life of Jesus, compassion. If you break the word down, uh, the root of compassion is passion, which means to suffer. The prefix "com" it means with. So compassion is not just warm feelings for someone. It's not just seeing someone and saying, oh, I feel bad for them. Compassion is to feel someone's pain, to look on their life with, with such sorrow for what they're going through that we actually begin to suffer with them. The Greek word, Used for compassion literally means from the guts. It's similar to the word gut-wrenching. And so when Jesus looks on the crowd and he sees that they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, when he sees that there are people who are made in the image of God that are designed to walk with and love and glorify God with their lives, and yet they don't know him. And they've been oppressed by the religious leaders of their day. And they've been told that you have to clean your life up to get to God. And you have to be perfect. And they've been pushed out. He looks on them and his heart breaks for them and he begins to suffer with them. And he he literally feels a gut-wrenching pain that I must teach them about the kingdom of God because I want them to know my love. And here's the deal. I love this blessing strategy. I think it's good. Better than that, I think it's biblical that we're to begin with prayer and listen and eat and serve and story. But if this ever becomes a checklist, we have missed the boat. If this ever just becomes, man, I did my good Christian duty, we have missed it. And you know what? I think we should do this even on the days we don't feel like it because we're not called to just follow our emotions all willy-nilly. Oh, I don't feel like it, so I'm not gonna bless people. No, I think we should do it either way. But when we recognize, which I, more than I care to admit, recognize that my heart is not filled with compassion for people, that I hear about needs and I am just numb to them. When that happens to us, we should go to God in prayer, come back to the place we started in say, God, will you break my heart for what breaks yours and enter into the suffering of others? And so Jesus is not motivated by duty. He is motivated by compassion. And the disciples, on the other hand, I mean, they're exhausted. They've had a long day and even longer week. And they come to Jesus and they recognize the need, but they feel they can do nothing to satisfy it. And so they go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, this is a desolate place. We don't see a Chick-fil-A around here. And the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. We kind of harp on this for them. Oh, they didn't know God could provide. This was actually a loving thing to do. I see a need. Jesus, will you handle the need? They should probably release them to go and get some food. Hey, church is over. Go get some grub. You know what I'm saying? So this is what they do. And the problem is Jesus recognized the same problem, but he didn't like their solution. And so he answered them. This is a good conversation going on. He answered them, you give them something to eat. I can just imagine being a disciple, you know, just like, what do you mean me giving them? Jesus, I don't know if you noticed, there's 5,000 men plus women and children. Bible scholars would estimate about 20,000 people. I don't know about you, Jesus, we're just 12 dudes. We're pretty hungry ourselves. We ain't got nothing to give them to eat. So you give them something to eat. And then the disciples make a comment that I think we often think is sarcasm, but I actually think it's just them crunching the numbers. I mean, you gotta realize these are businessmen, Matthew, tax collector, a lot of them fishermen. They've run tax collecting businesses, kind of hustling and bustling. They've run fishing businesses. And I think they're just crunching the numbers. I mean, 200 denarii. A is a day's wage. If you compare that to today, the average American household makes about $59,000 per year. Uh, 200 days, 200 denarii, 200 days is more than half the calendar year. But just to make math easy, cut it in half $30,000. 200 denarii, about $30,000 in today's money. Well, 20,000 people, $30,000, it's $1.50 per per head. That's a pretty cheap dinner. It's like beans and rice. It's like a thing of fries, you know? Like, that's not much bread. Especially, there's no fish happening in that. And I think they're just making a statement about, Jesus, we we see the need. There is no way we can satisfy the need. I mean, maybe if I was still like cheating people out of their taxes, Matthew said, I might have a little to spare. Or maybe if I was still like, pulling in the fish, Jesus, I could like make something happen here. But Jesus, I left it all for you. I mean, now I'm tithing, I'm giving to the poor, my nights and weekends, gone for you. There's no margin in my life. I don't know if you ever felt that way. There's no margin in my life, Jesus. How can you ask me to do more right now? But the problem is they're still thinking about what they can do in and of themselves. They forgot who they were with. I mean, this is the one who makes something out of nothing. This is the one who spoke and the galaxies were created. This is the one who made it rain bread in the wilderness for 40 years every single day. This is the one who makes water flow from a rock in the middle of the wilderness. This is the one who makes the sea part before his people and then closes it in on their enemies behind them. This is the one who is the bread of life. This is the one who Hebrews chapter one says, upholds the entire universe by his word of power. They are with the son of God who is the bread of life, who has everything in the universe at his command. They thought God was asking them to do something for the people. They didn't realize God was asking them to do something with Jesus. They thought God was saying, they thought Jesus was saying, hey guys, go do something for me. Jesus was actually saying, I want to do something with you. And so Jesus says, "How how many loaves do you have? Go and see, verse 38. How many loaves do you have? I love this that Jesus doesn't say, what can you do? Because in and of themselves, they couldn't do anything. He doesn't ask what they could do. He doesn't ask what they don't have. They've been talking about what they don't have. We don't have this, we, 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 we can't do 200 denarii. What are you talking? He says, what do you have? I don't want to hear about what you don't have. I don't want to hear about the money you don't have and the time you don't have, the energy you don't have, the relationships you don't have, the career you don't have, the, the, the marriage you don't have, the life you don't have. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about all the Instagram things that you see that you're sad about. I just wanna know, what do you have? What has God given to you in your life? Jesus says, go check the pantry. I want some numbers. What do you have? And they come back kind of sheepishly, you know, like, man, you know, like, all right, we got five and two fish. They don't even say loves. We got five. We got five. Five and two fish. And, you know, uh, John helps us out with this. The other gospels, they don't uh, relate to this, but John helps us out with this. John tells us it was actually a little boy's five loaves and two fish. The disciples got resourceful. They found what was in the crowd, five loaves and two fish. Here it is, Jesus. This is all that we have. This is all that anybody has. What can you do with it? And I love this because the moment they bring to Jesus what they have and stop talking about what they don't have and stop thinking about what they can't do, the moment they bring to him what they have, that's when the miracle starts. And when God is at work, not only in our lives, but through our lives, oftentimes the miracle starts, not when we receive everything that we need, but when we give what we have. Not when we hit the place of we have such abundance that it's just flowing out from me. Like, yeah, you can have some, you can have some. I got plenty to spare. Most of us aren't there. But God, the miracle happens when we give simply what we have, the time we have, the energy we have, the money we have to be a blessing to the people that God has put in our lives. Notice the miracle didn't happen without the disciples. I love this next part. It's just so comical to me because they give him the five loaves and the two fish and Jesus says a prayer. He blesses it. He says a prayer and then he gives it back. I mean, I just love this dialogue. You know, they're saying, hey, what do we do? Send them out. Jesus like, no, you feed them. They're like, all we got is five loaves and two fish. Give it to me. Okay, here you go. Bless it. All right, five loaves and two fish. Go feed the people. I mean, can you imagine just like, hey, I don't know if you were in the conversation just a minute ago, but we don't have enough to feed the people. And he says, he sends them out, go feed the people. And so, you know, some of the disciples, Peter, he's a little rascally. He's probably like, sweet, bread for 10, you know? So he's like taking a big bite and then throwing out some. But some of the disciples, I'm guessing pretty frugal, conservative, you know, a few of them are like that. Uh, I can imagine them kind of, okay, here's my one loaf. I got 4,000 people. That's kind of my section. 4,000 people, so one loaf divided by 4,000 people. You can have a little bit, you can have a little bit. I don't know when it clicked, you know, like God is multiplying this. I can give out more. God is multiplying this. I can give more of what I have. God is multiplying this. There's enough for everyone. But at some point it clicked and they saw a miracle happen that they never expected. And I really don't want to rag on these guys because so often I'm just like them. I see needs in front of me. I see opportunities to serve, but I disqualify myself. I, I see the barriers in my own life. I have my own hesitations because of the deficits that I see and I don't act. And what I'm so challenged by in this story is just to begin coming to God in the place of prayer and saying, God, is, would you have me to do this? Which is so important because John chapter nine, verse, John chapter five, verse 19, Jesus says, I only do what I see the father doing. So Jesus isn't out there just like, I'm just gonna bless whoever I want. No, he's in the place of prayer saying, God, what do you have for me to do? And then he does that. And in our lives, and we can't meet the needs of this city. We can't meet the needs of everybody around us, but we can do whatever it is God has called us to do. No matter how small or how big that is, we can do it because if he has called us, then he will supply for the need. And so in this moment, he just, they give what they have and God blesses it and multiplies it. Sometimes God shows you a need because he's calling you to be a part of the solution. When Queen Esther had an opportunity to stand in the gap for her nation, she was afraid. Actually, she was afraid she might lose her life. And rightfully so, she very well could have lost her life for what she was about to do. And she was scared and she was timid and she was thinking about not stepping into the opportunity that God had provided for her. And then her uncle Mordecai says something true that I think God might be saying to us today about the needs in front of us, about our neighbors, our coworkers, about the needs in our city. He says, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Who knows if God hasn't set you in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in this city for the time in which you are living? Who knows if God has not sent you to be the means by which he provides for that need that is in front of you. Even though you can't see that you have enough, he will take what you have and multiply it to be a blessing to many. I believe that God is calling us, sometimes in even seemingly insignificant ways to get engaged with the needs in front of us, to live our lives serving, not expecting or hoping to be served. And may we never despise the day of small beginnings. I mean, if you look at 2 Kings chapter four, the prophet Elisha, one of the most significant prophetic ministries we see throughout the scriptures, he begins his prophetic ministry, not on a platform, not with a crowd, but instead in a little rickety house with a widow who is about to die for lack of food. That's where he begins his ministry. That's where God begins to teach him the lesson that if he is faithful with the little things, he will be faithful with much. That is where God begins to teach him what it means to lean on God, to be a blessing and to serve the needs of the people around us. May we never despise the small beginnings. May we never despise to us the seemingly insignificant things, the meal that we bring, the coworker we take out to lunch and pay for it. The yard we mow, the serving opportunity, we hook up with in our community group or in the church, which we have some I wanna to talk to you about at the end of this. I believe God has something for us to do this week. May we never despise the things that seem insignificant to us, but God is actually doing a great blessing through it. What I wanna say as well is that whatever is God has put in your heart to do for people, sometimes I get stuck. One of my barriers is, man, I see the need in the world and I wanna be a part of it and I dream and I think about it, but then I do nothing because I don't see the path to be a part of the major work that God is doing in the world. And one of the things God has taught me over the years is that what I wanna do for everyone, I should just do for one and start there. Whether it be a home to the homeless or to feed the hungry, whether it be to mentor young men and women, whether it be to take care of women who are in distressed situations in their life, whether, whatever it may be, whether it, maybe it be to address some of the socioeconomic needs in our city, maybe it be to address some of the racial tensions in our city. Whatever God is putting in your heart to do for the whole, do it for one and see what he doesn't do with that single thing. Watch what God doesn't do when you just enter into every situation in your life with a heart to serve rather than be served. I mean, Joseph, he was the most powerful man in all the world and he climbed to the top not by getting there himself, but by laying his life down in service for others. When his brothers threw him in a hole and then he became a slave, he served his master. And then when his master's wife tried to sleep with him and get him in all this trouble, he ran away from that. He, he acted with integrity, with a good conscience. And yet he was thrown in prison for something that he was wrongfully accused of. And he could have sat in that prison cell and, and wept and moped and had a pity party about everything that went wrong in his life and how his brothers tried to kill him and how this woman tried to set him up and he would have been right. But he didn't do that. He just gave himself in the prison to serve And the head over the whole prison appointed Joseph as the one to take care of everything in the prison because he saw in him not only a heart for God, but the favor of God when he did things that just was successful. And then he interpreted a couple guys' dreams and he ends up interpreting the most powerful man in all the world's dream. And then this guy recognizes the favor of God on his life and he sets him up to serve the entire world by feeding them. How did he go from being a little boy with a dream to a man who has the food supply for the entire world and he is literally serving the needs of the world by feeding them. He did it by laying his life down in every situation to serve. And when he was tempted, he, he chose the path of integrity instead of, of the easy path. Serving opened doors for Joseph to bless the world. Serving opens doors for us to bless the world. I had that opportunity I told you about earlier because my dad opened the door through serving. And there are opportunities throughout our city that will open to us, doors that will open, relationships that will open when we give ourselves to serve. Not only does serving open doors, but serving validates a message that would otherwise be vilified. Not only validates the message, it validates the messenger as well. I'll show you 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12. Peter says, hey guys, look, you're gonna be persecuted You're going to be looked down on. You're going to be mocked. People are going to say you're evil because you don't worship the things they worship. You don't live the life they live. They're going to literally push you out and say you're evil. But I don't want you to argue with them. I don't want you to defend yourself. I don't want you to take up arms. I want you to do this. I want you to serve. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. When they see your good deeds... They will glorify God. He took this out of Matthew chapter five when Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says he says that they are the light of the world, that his people are the light of the world. He says, you know when your light's gonna shine. It's not when you get your arguments sealed tight. It's not when you you know, have just the awesomest worship experience ever. It's not when the preacher's crazy funny and the church is just the best. It's not when you hit that place in life where you just feel like you've got the status and the stature. And that's not when people are going to see your light. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, they're going to see your light and glorify God when they see your good works. Friends, we have opportunities before us, opportunities that we didn't create, but that God prepared. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that God has prepared good works for us to walk in. That's good news to me. Since before the foundation of the world, before God got busy forming the world, He was preparing good works for you and me to walk in. And that's good news to us because it means we don't have to go create a path to serve. We don't have to, I don't know about you, sometimes I get overwhelmed at the need and I don't know where to start. And God says, just seek me and I'll show you little ways to get started that you might walk in the good works that I have prepared for you. And my question to you today is what's it going to look like the next six days? What's the next 167 hours going to look like before next Sunday morning at 11 a.m.? Is it going to be any different? your posture, your attitude, are you gonna be looking for those opportunities to serve? And I wanna dream with you because I just imagine if every Christian, if every one of us who are Christ followers in the city of St. Louis, if we shifted our perspective on this and we stopped looking at life as what we could get out of it and we we instead approach life with how can we serve? How can we be a blessing? How can we do good to others? And, And those who didn't yet believe in Christ, who maybe were even a little skeptical, maybe even looking at Christians kind of like, man, you've just you guys have got a terrible reputation, you know, just all about yourselves and we've earned that reputation. And what if, when they, what if they began experiencing Christians who were entered into relationships to be a blessing, to serve, to give, not to get? What if they began experiencing Christians out in the neighborhood, at the workplace, at the stores, that actually had an attitude, a posture of giving themselves in love to other people? I just imagine that the the view, the, the perspective that those who are out, outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ would begin to see Christians as those who, man, they're doing good. And maybe they would begin to make the shift of glorifying God, that when Jesus returns and he stands and he calls every person to stand before him, that they might be one who is trusted in his name because they saw our good works and they were able to glorify God through it. And you know we wanna do this in our individual lives. We wanna do it as a church. And we're always looking for opportunities to get our hands dirty as a church and get out there and do something. And uh, this Saturday, we've actually, we've got three major opportunities that I wanna make you aware of. Actually, I wanna ask you to tweak your Saturday plans if you're able. I understand some aren't able, but if you're able to tweak your Saturday plans and just carve out an hour And engage one of these serving opportunities. And I know that may be hard. I mean, I I had plans for my Saturday, and I was preparing this message, and God was just dealing with me on putting this first, prioritizing this. And I I felt like, man, I need to set aside those plans. I need to do those another day. And I need to give myself in service in one of these ways. And I want to ask you to consider, prayerfully consider doing the same. And so there's three big opportunities. The first one is to help with the food pantry that meets in our basement every Saturday morning. If you're not aware, there's a food pension meets down there, uh, 80 to 100 people every Saturday morning, just feed, giving them food. It's really a funnel to a larger ministry that's happening through this couple, Sasha and Mira. And uh, this Saturday, we wanna make it a little special for them. We wanna bring coffee and donuts and we're gonna have computers out. Bring a computer if you come. If you don't have one, we'll have, we'll have some there. And just help people with paperwork, help them apply for jobs, help them, you know, pay bills if they need to and all those sorts of things. And if you want to be a part of that, you can just check that box in your communication card. I want to help with the food pantry this Saturday. You want to check these boxes if you're going to do it because it's the only way to learn more about the opportunity. So get that card out if you want to engage this this Saturday. Another one, visit refugees in the area. We have a connection at Oasis International up the street and and it's this incredible ministry to refugees in the city. But one of the needs that they have is they have refugees who are confined to their home. Either they can't get out of their house, they're immobile, or uh, they just don't have a car. And they're asking us to bring some people to just go and visit them, to, to pray for them, to listen to them, maybe eat with them and see if there's a way that we might serve them this week. And the last one beautify local neighborhoods. We have an opportunity this week to make the areas in which we live a more beautiful place that people might only only see our beautiful works, but they might actually live in a clean space that looks nice. So I want to ask you, consider, prayerfully consider, would God have you take an hour this week and get engaged with one of those? Will you stand with me? Why do we do it? For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We're going to keep that verse on the screen for you while I pray. I believe God wants this to sink in. He wants to grip our hearts with a love for people. He wants to shift our thinking about our life, that in every situation, in every relationship, we might enter into it, knowing that we have been blessed by God so that we might be a blessing to others.